0: 2020 is finally over and we flip our blank pages of history into 2021, but tennis finds itself dangling in the most precarious of positions ahead of the first Grand Slam of the year, with quarantine controversies ahead of the Australian Open at Melbourne Park. This is Breakpoint Podcast. I'm your host, Val Febbo. Happy New Year, year, everyone. We have such a massive show lined up today with the continued news about the players in quarantine. Herald Sun tennis journalist Mark McGowan and Lewis Simmons from the new Live Tennis app. Um, we can't wait to chat about that. And the most epic of Benoit of the Week segments you will ever hear. There's not just one or two or three nominations. There's a hell of a lot more than that. And we'll get to that later on in the show. But before we do any of it, I must introduce the one and only Joel Fruci, who is back on deck with me in 2021. Joel, Happy New Year. How are you?
1: Yeah, thanks, Phil. Happy new year to you too, mate. Um, I'm good. How are you? It's Jesus Christ. I mean, the last <laughs> last couple of weeks in tennis, I mean, it was a pretty quiet off-season, it has to be said, mm. but geez, um, it has absolutely exploded in the last couple of weeks. I think as a bit of a precursor, um, I think there was always going to be the risk that something like this was going to happen. But I think we were, in some respects, I, I was kind of... In the in the frame of mind that because the U.S. Open and the French Open went relatively well by comparison, as we know now, um, that you know things wouldn't get anywhere near this point. But as we've seen, it's um it's a bit of a um because the word cluster has been thrown around a bit in the last year. I'm just going to use the word. It's been a bit of a clusterfuck, hasn't it?
0: Well, yeah, I, I think yeah we used that for when Novak tested positive for the first time and. I guess now now is as better time as any to use it again because it's just been it's been a disaster this whole this whole situation and quarantining and and the players arriving in Melbourne for the Australian Open we almost forget that we had three tournaments a week ago um, starting the year with that uh, Antalya won by our very own Alex Diminor, um in oh, Darrow yeah, Beach <laughs> uh, Darrow Beach uh, won <laughs> by Hubert Hercash and then uh, Abu Dhabi um, where Arena Sabalenka won her third straight event so. Yeah, it's, it's almost irrelevant at the moment that we had those three events of the year that they kicked off the season. But what, we better start with what's happening now with the hotel quarantining debacle um, that has befallen Melbourne and, and what the players have have done. We've seen complaints from uh, the likes of Yulia Putintseva, um Novak Djokovic has sent out his list of demands. Um, other, Roberto Bautista-Agu calling it a prison Um, Some of the other players saying that, why can't we leave? We can't open our doors. Um, Svetlana Kuznetsova traveling without a mask on in the plane. Um, Artem Sitak probably summed it up the best, saying that there's people on flights. If anybody on those flights tests positive, you will have to go into a hard quarantine. The rules were explained, apparently, by Tennis Australia. Um, Sitak was, unfortunately, one of these players that was on these planes. He's had to go into hard quarantine at the Holiday Inn and not allowed out of the room at all. And more than fair enough, we, we've been through a hell of a lot here, Joel, in Melbourne um, over the last year. And this has been well documented on this podcast. And we, we did the podcast throughout this hard lockdown and what we were able to do and, and how difficult things were for, for both you and I living here in Melbourne and only able to leave. For an hour a day to go and exercise and you were only allowed to travel within a five kilometre bubble for four specific reasons or allowed to go to a partner or spouse's house um, or care give. But it it was a disaster here in Melbourne and we we went through a lot of hard yards to, to get to where we are today with barely any cases and only cases coming in through hotel quarantine. And now to have a lot of tennis players complaining about fresh air and complaining about what Tennis Australia is doing and what the government is doing, um, it's a bit of a slap in the face. And it's a massive... Um, it's it's really infuriating to see the ignorance on these players that... And look, they're getting... And I will end this rant in a second. They're getting paid $100,000 for the first round of the Australian Open, um, the ones that are playing singles. Doubles is a little bit less and they have to split that, so obviously a little bit less there. but. They're getting an all-expenses-paid hotel room for two weeks, and the the hotels in question, the Grand Hyde in Melbourne, very, very nice. The Pullman across across from Albert Park, very, very nice. The View Hotel on St Kilda Road and overlooking um, Albert Reserve, very, very nice. All of them, very nice. They're getting that paid for for free for two weeks. And then when they get out, and they're allowed to go and practice if they haven't tested positive, so they're allowed to go to Melbourne Park, they get their little bit of fresh air, and then they end up getting their $100,000 at least for the first round of the Australian Open. Stop effing complaining, because if I could swap (laughs) positions with you, if you want to come to my house, you can stay in my house for two weeks, and I'll take your place in hotel quarantine, and I'll take your hundred thousand dollars because that's a nice little pay packet. That'll get me a um a deposit on a house here in Melbourne. I'll be very happy with that. And stop complaining. It's a joke. It is yep. an absolute joke.
1: Yep. no, well said, mate. Couldn't have put it much better. Um, you know the fact that I, I can't imagine how big a loss that, you know, Tennis Australia would be incurring, uh, for all these expenses for the one hundred k in prize money for the paid flights, four paid uh, accommodation. And, you know, despite the rules that are in place and whether the players knew about them or not, it's the risk you run. I mean, we're in the middle of a pandemic and we're orchestrating this international sporting event. I mean, regardless of what the rules are, we had to be prepared for uh, for the risk. And it's kind of, I find it absurd that some of the players don't seem uh, to have been uh, prepared for that. Now, look, in fairness to them, a lot of them, are, and you'd have to say probably the majority, coming from um, from what we would call hotspots, Europe and the US. That's a lot of players, right? Yeah. Um, they're coming from places that are in that position because the authorities in a lot of those places just did not take it seriously enough. And as a result, it's obviously out of control in these places. That's the consequence. And they're coming to a place with uh, probably, funnily enough, Victoria for that for that period was probably the the black sheep in uh, in Australia, but overall, you would have to say that Australia as a whole uh, has managed COVID nineteen incredibly well. Um, certainly, used uh, our advantages as as a nation um, in that we have uh, we have no land borders, so we closed the borders and we eliminated it. Um, Melbournians in particular did all that hard work in uh, in July onwards to to not even. Suppress COVID nineteen. In the end, we eliminated it. So, look, none of them are going to get any uh, sympathy uh, from from this particular community, just given uh, what what they've gone through. And uh, there was a great line um, in Ben Rothenberg's piece, actually, in the in the uh, Nine Fairfax Press, where he talked about how last year the players supported the Victorian and, and um, New South Wales communities, um, you know, in fundraising for the bushfires and raising awareness, whatever it was, expressing sympathy and empathy. They could see, and these are pretty much Ben's exact words. They could see the flames and they could smell the smoke, but seemingly they they don't understand just the uh, the environment, um, and the the emotions that that people encountered and went through and felt when that second wave happened. And a lot of people went went through some bad stuff. A lot of people hit rock bottom, and it took a lot for a lot of people to you know to pick themselves you know, off the off the canvas really and. Um, and, and try to get on with their lives in a in a different way, knowing that a lot of businesses were closed, people couldn't see their friends, couldn't go, as you said, more than five kilometres from home. It was mm. really, really harsh. So, you know, I think um I think a lot of the players obviously they need a bit of perspective, but I just don't think they truly uh understand what they've walked into. But having said that, um if uh, I know she's in uh, I think she's in the Grand Hyatt, but like if Felina's and wants to come quarantine at my house, there's a spare room. <laughs> Uh, at my house and there's a tennis club next to my house. So, you know, if (laughs) she's listening, you know, you're welcome to come.
0: Um, Gail Monfist might want to come as well, Joel. So, um, yeah, I think your, your love interest, <laughs> your love interest might be, uh, might be sort of, um, dwindled a little bit if, uh, if Gail's there, but, um, yeah, you might have to, you might have to like, sort of not come on too creepy, um, like you have done just <laughs> just now. Um, <laughs> but, um, the, it all sort of started with the Novak Djokovic list of demands and some people are calling it requests, but um, this is what he said, and this is coming from his swanky, and we'll get to this, this is coming from his swanky hotel room in Adelaide where he and a lot of the other top guys, and we'll chat about what Craig Tiley said about this, are quarantining and um, and getting out and about on uh, in Memorial Drive. So his demands were fitness and training material in all rooms, decent food for elite athletes following players taking aim at the meals on offer. Reduce the days of isolation for players in hard isolation and carry out more tests to confirm they're negative. Permission to visit your coach or physical trainer as long as they've both passed the tests. Grant both player and his coach to be on the same floor of the hotel. Move as many players as possible to private houses with, te- with a tennis court to facilitate training. Ridiculous. Is he on drugs? Like, <laughs> this is... And, and Nick Kyrgios came out and said it perfectly. Djokovic is a tool. Because this is, and this shows the disparity of how tennis athletes and how athletes are looked after, not just tennis players, but all around the world, and how they're looked after. Um, you know, you are, and we've said this about Novak so many times over the last year you are not above a global pandemic. No human is above a global pandemic. And yes, some players have been dealt a short straw, but they knew that coming here. John Isner didn't come here. Because he didn't want to travel without his family. I wonder why he didn't come. Yeah, exactly. He didn't come because he didn't want to travel without his family. But there's other reasons probably as well. Roger Federer didn't come. He
1: probably just didn't want to wear a mask.
0: Yeah, probably. And and it's probably true. But Roger Federer didn't come. Yes, because of the knee. But he wasn't going to be able to travel with Mirka and the four kids. Plus his entourage. So why wouldn't he stay in Dubai where there will be a tournament there pretty much immediately post the Australian Open? Why wouldn't he start his season there rather than make the trip, have to sit sit in a hotel room for two weeks? If you don't want to do it, don't come. But if you come, shut the f up, <laughs> because yeah. that's like that's all I can say. Because it's just it, it's absolutely ridiculous, and and the players that are in Adelaide have no right to to comment because they're put in luxurious rooms. Um, you know, there's only what seven or eight of them. Um, and that tournament, tickets go on sale sort of later this week. It's They're getting looked after. Rafa hasn't said a thing. Halep hasn't said a thing. Barty hasn't said a thing. Team hasn't said a thing. These top players need to probably not talk because it's going to make them look even worse because they're not the ones dealing with the difficulties like a lot of the other players are. But why can't they be like a Pablo Cuevas where he's just absolutely... Loving lies, surfing on, <laughs> surfing on his mattress, partying on his Instagram oh, story, um, and Alan Perez swimming in her bathtub. It, it's brilliant. Um, and then you've got Vanessa Sierra, Bernard Tomich's girlfriend, commenting that oh, she God. can't wash her hair or um, extract feces from her body uh, in front of <laughs> in front of uh, in front of Bernie. It's like you're in a hotel room. There's such a thing as air wick. Spray it. It's a it's a spray. Then for, for international listeners, Air is like it's just an air freshener. You spray it, it makes it smell nice. You can go do your number twos, and then you can come out and, come out and be all dandy. I I don't I don't understand what's going on and look, the death threats are very unwarranted and she's had to um, take down her Instagram account. Um, so definitely no cause for that. But Joel, the whole situation is just, it's mind-boggling. It really is. And just to see the complaints coming, it's like you guys are looked after so well and you want people and you are ambassadors for your sport and you want people to love the sport. You want people to come and see you play. But then you act like this and the Melbourne community can be so harsh. Um, You know, it it takes us a long time to forgive things and – it is going to take them a lot of a lot of time to to forgive what the players are saying and what Yulia Putintseva complaining that they need fresh air and look there are mice in some of the rooms that's not good but <laughs> in her room in particular yeah but you know what live with it you came here you expected this you were gonna have to quarantine for two weeks um that's all I can say you have to live with it we we did it for months and much worse than what they're going through much worse and if they can't handle this for two weeks because and Ben Rothenberg said that um said it perfectly as well the players are fighting with competence really because we have a competence system um in place that's going to eradicate the disease and hopefully allow them to play this tournament we're getting this grand slam underway um Craig Tyley's comments about and this is something I'll ask you what did you make of Tylie's comments saying that um, because Grand Slam champions are in Adelaide, that you know the others have to deal with it. Did you find that fair?
1: Uh, look, I could see where he was coming from, but it was it was certainly inflammatory. Uh, I think that's probably probably the right word for it. Um, uh, and overall, it was it was a business decision. So I mean, it was clearly a case of top players you can go to Adelaide, uh, but the trade off is you've got to play in this exhibition event promoting Adelaide essentially probably for the South Australian government, right? So yeah. in that sense, it probably worked for both the players and for the locals as well. But, you know, I can see, again, I can see where, you know, sort of tempers and eyebrows would be raised in the rest of the playing community because, you know, you look at uh, some of the players in that kind of bracket as well that, that didn't kind of get that opportunity because I think I'm right in saying only what what about... Six, seven, eight players, Val, are, are in that bracket. Lucky enough to be in Adelaide. There's yes. really not many that are. Yeah, there's really not many that are there, and you could probably make the case for a lot of other players uh, in the respective top tens uh, to have potentially, um, you know, been shipped over to Adelaide as well. But I guess you could potentially argue that, you know, comparatively to the names that are there, they're not necessarily big names, but their rank, their you know, their ranking, their current ranking might warrant them uh, being there, and. Even more broadly than that, we've obviously had a lot of discussions you and I um, about equality or the lack thereof in tennis over the last year. I think that's probably what we spoke most about during 2020. Amongst all this, I just feel really sorry for the the lower ranked players, players that qualified, um, you know, players that had to fight tooth and nail for an opportunity um, in the Australian Open that have kind of just been lost in all this. So obviously, with all the uh, all the stuff that's been said by people like, you know, Roberta Batista-Ragu and, and Novak Djokovic and Yuli Potinsiva, they're all players that are in the, the top 30 or so. Um, you know, we haven't really, you know, sort of heard of anything really uh, from, from players in the in the lower bracket that are sort of just pushing the challenges and if they've qualified for the Australian Open, they're just really trying to break even. We haven't really heard from them and for them, as we know, it's it's just a case of, of them really doing their job and, and trying to learn and to earn um, a living. And because of what's been said by the players that are earning more than them, um, you know, they've, they've kind of been left in this bracket where I think the lines have kind of been skewed where people don't quite understand that mm-hmm. um, that not all tennis players are, are in that lucky bracket where they have X amount of support staff and, and you, know, they can, um, you know, they can have the nice facilities, they can have the nice um, endorsements The vast majority don't have that. And I think the real shame in it is is that that has been lost in all this.
0: Yeah, exactly right. And I think a lot of people are sort of putting in a a generalisation that now one tennis player said this, so all tennis players are selfish. And that's not true. A lot of them, yes, have said the wrong thing. And I think Tara Daniel is another one that said that, oh, because we can't get the preparation now, proper preparation for the Australian Open, it should be made best of three sets. It's like, no, 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 no. That's not a grand slam. That's not how we roll. Um, but unfortunately having Serena, Nadal, Djokovic, team, Halep and Osaka in, um, in Adelaide, that doesn't help a lot of proceedings, does it? And, and I think that's what, because they're living such a cushy lifestyle in Adelaide and in big hotel rooms, a mm-hmm. lot of the play, and Stan Vavrinka in a massive penthouse in, in one of the hotels um I think that because these bigger players are being looked after it's kind of rubbing a lot of people up the wrong way. So and, ho-
1: and as well, an important point to make is that Adelaide is an Xie. There's yeah. nothing at stake, it's just an exhibition event.
0: Exactly. And that and that's where I don't think this Adelaide tournament should have gone ahead in this climate. Um I, I was always against it when I saw the news. I thought this is pretty dumb. I think all of them should just come to Melbourne. Now, I know that they want to get people to Memorial Drive and I know they want to get people seeing the new developments that have been made, but it did not need to happen. And I think these players, like, they're already getting, you know, two tournaments in Melbourne for the ATP, two tournaments for the WTA, plus the ATP Cup. Um, it, it, that's all we needed before the Australian Open. Um, so, yeah, it's... I am not a fan. I'm really I'm really not a fan of it. And yeah, I just think a lot of these players need to need to honestly suck it up because as I, as we both said, we went through this in Melbourne before. Um they don't need to be complaining. They're getting paid handsomely for it. And for for the players that are saying that a lot of people don't know tennis and this is like a prison, that's what Roberto Bautista Gu said. It's like, well people like you and I, Joel, cover it, have followed it understand what the pitfalls of the sport can be um, but we are we are 100% backing what the government is saying and, and what the enforcements are because this is going to keep the virus at bay and if we're going to get the tournament done and if we're going to finish the tournament and at its completion there's no extra coronavirus cases, that's a success doesn't matter who gets injured, doesn't matter who wins it, doesn't matter what the results are, if there's no cases That is the underlying factor, and that's a win. doesn't matter who wins this tournament. That is the win right there. So it'll probably end up like the US Open, um, like the French Open. Tournament goes ahead, some great results, and we'll all be saying, oh, oh, it wasn't so bad. Um, But I think the players need to have a long, hard look in the mirror, especially the ones that have complained. And you just got to deal with it. You have to deal with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And just a final word from me before we we move on. Um, At the end of the day in this thing, there are no rules here. Um, I mean, the rules just keep being rewritten about COVID-19, what, every day? Every few hours? There's no rules here. There's no rule book. So, you know, yeah, it's – I just just find it staggering that so many people thought there would just be – here's a block of – I would have almost – in some respects, call them proposals rather than rules because I think it was they were always going to change. They yeah. were always going to change, and that's exactly what we've seen.
0: Exactly, and then we like even we did even see how how the hell Tennis Sandring got on his flight. I'm not I'm not even sure. So he was given a <laughs> a negative a positive on the Monday, and then on the Wednesday he was flying out, and he called Craig Tiley a wizard. Um, so I'm not even I, I'm not even sure how all that works because of the shredding and there's new sort of parameters for how to measure COVID and who's got COVID. It's all very nitty-gritty. But I just think that now now is the time when, and Victoria Azarenka said it perfectly, now is the time when we need unity as fans, as the media, as players, and we all have to work together to contain this virus. And she couldn't have summed it up perfectly. And she won social media the other day for her statement and, if, and Anastasia Podopova, I think, um, came out and thanked everyone. Um, Nick Kyrgios, voice of reason again. So obviously a few things haven't changed from 2020 to 2021. Um, that's still as crazy as ever. And um, Bernard Tomic qualified for the Australian Open. Bizarre. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely, and that's
1: been lost in all this as well. I know
0: exactly. Well, um, yeah. So he and Vanessa Sierra have um, apparently she's his coach, Joel. Um, and he said he wasn't going to reveal his yeah, secrets, that. and I'd hate to think what those secrets are after um, hearing what they did, uh, what, they did lo- <laughs> what they did online, what um, they did online. I've honestly, I've got. That that is one of the weirdest relationships I've ever seen, um, and especially some of the social content they've been producing—twerking um, for laptops and and what have you. Um, <laughs> it's just it's it's just odd. So um, yeah, let, let's um, let's move on to our first guest, Mark McGowan, and our first guest does join us now. He is one of the best journalists, one of the best sports journalists in the country. Um, whether it's AFL, whether it's tennis, whether it's anything, he can write about it. His penmanship is exquisite. His name is Mark McGowan. He's not the, new, uh, the WA Premier. He is the journalist. And Mark, thank you so much for joining us here on Breakpoint. It's a, it's a pleasure to have you on. How are you going?
2: Yeah, going well, mate. Far too kind. I'll, uh, I'll slip you the, the $50 note afterwards.
0: Uh, thank you. I'll take that, actually. <laughs> Christmas has uh, just gone around the corner, so... I'll, um, I'll take that as an added Christmas present, but um, doing your stuff for um, the Herald Sun at the moment, how's, how have you found everything so far with all of the quarantine and every all of the complaints that are coming through by all of the players? Joel and I have chatted about it uh, at, off the top of the show and we're quite baffled at how ignorant a lot of the players have been, so what's your take on it all?
2: It's it's been an extraordinary build up to an Australian Open. I, I can't remember anything like this um, in my time um, watching, following, covering the Australian Open. It's just been. I mean, we all know it's been a very strange twelve months in general, um, and we knew that this was going to be a little bit different. But ever since the planes arrived in Melbourne, probably even just before that, it was probably that it all started with Tennis Sangren's tweets before he got on board the flight, and I think ever since then it's just been. A crazy, crazy few days. Obviously, the COVID dominated initially. The last few days, it's been all about player complaints. Roberto Bautista Agut coming out, comparing it to jail. But then there's, you know, did he know he was on the camera? They're just extraordinary headlines. Even this morning, the police minister telling tennis players to stop feeding the mice. I mean, who would have thought that would be a headline during this year's Australian <laughs> Open? It's just been... Uh, a really, really unusual build-up and uh, I can't wait, to be honest, for the, the first ball to be struck because I think everything's going to calm down a bit once that happens and we can start debating who's going to make the quarterfinals, who's going to break the Grand Slam record and yeah, I can't wait to get to that point.
0: Yeah, I know. It's it's going to be a, quite a right. breath of fresh air, I think, and, and I think what we've seen throughout... Um, throughout the first couple of weeks with Demonor winning a title and, um, and what happened in Delray Beach and, and Abu Dhabi. I think that all got lost in, in what's been happening off the court and, and even throughout Australian Open qualifying. We didn't really hear too much about it um, because it was so disconnected. So uh, have you found, and of course it is because there aren't any tournaments in Australia yet, but how have you found the connection in terms of writing with writing about the sport in January when there hasn't been any tennis around in, in the country?
2: I think at this stage, you have to go where the news is. And, and at the moment, as we touched on just, just a second ago, it, it's all about COVID. It's all yeah. about the drama. It's all about the controversy and um, whether there's going to be changes, whether tournament dates can going to be pushed back. Obviously, Craig Tiley talked about that last night, that there's a, a strong possibility that the leading events will be pushed back a couple of days to the, the Tuesday rather than starting on the Sunday. Um there just isn't tennis to report on right now. So instead we, you have to look for the news and the news at the moment are daily updates on um, whether there, a player's tested positive or um, whether a player's been able to practice and, and get out of their room. Um, that, that's where it's at at the moment. At, at this time of year, we're used to the Australian Open being on. We're, we're away at this point. Um, and at this stage, we're still a couple of weeks away from any sort of tennis, let alone the, the Australian Open, obviously the February eight start date. So... It's been unusual, um, but it's good to see people talking about tennis. Um, That's always a good thing because during the year, as we know, it doesn't get the same coverage as a a lot of the other sports, particularly the football codes. But um, uh, it's it's just good to see people talking about tennis, although it's probably been a a little bit negative this year.
1: Yeah, there's certainly been a bit of negativity, I I think certainly from the the Melbourne community, Mark, as as you would know. And um, I certainly think they've come to the, the wrong spot if they were expecting uh, sympathy. A lot of the players that uh, have uh, certainly voiced their disapproval of disapproval about some of the conditions in which they're currently uh, dealing. And gonna get you to editorialise a little bit here. But what do you what do you sort of make of the whole situation? Obviously, we've heard from players like Roberto Batista Ragu and Yuli Putintseva and, and Novak Djokovic, and you know, there's been there's been displeasure amongst the players. I mean, what, what what have you made of it? Because I know certainly Val and I, we, we've been speaking to it as Melbourneians, as Victorians, and we went through some pretty harsh stuff. Um, so I, I, what do you think of the whole situation? I'm probably not as as critical
2: as some of the other, I guess, neutral as we call them. Um, As as someone, I consider myself a tennis person. Um, I have a a little bit more sympathy for for some of their complaints. I think it's a little bit, it's been misguided. There's no doubt about that. Um, That's probably an understatement to say that. But I try to look at it another way. And and for me, I'm I'm looking at it as they're coming from travelling around year by year. They're used to certain things. They're used to countries that treat the coronavirus completely differently. Um, yeah. they, they don't realise, it's been a shock to their system. Um, I mean, I, I spoke to Taro Daniel earlier in the week and, you know, he, he said he was a bit more prepared than others because he'd been watching the news from, from afar and had seen people getting arrested for not wearing a mask. And so he was like, wow, so hardcore stuff like that. So I knew this was going to be strict. But then you have other players that just haven't been aware of anything that's happening in Australia. They've rocked up and it has been a shock to their system. Um and, you know, you look in the US and it's, it's normal to have COVID every day. There's more cases, there's hundreds, there's thousands of cases. And so they're just thinking, oh, we're, we're getting on with life. Um, whereas here, we want to be at zero cases. We've had a horrendous period last year here in Melbourne. We all know that multi-month period in the lockdown, um, you know, people lost their jobs. And, and I think that has started to get through to the tennis community. And they've probably started to temper it. And then there's some that are just a bit savvier, like your Victoria Razarenkis, who understand how to cultivate their public image. And there's others who just don't care about it, like your Patuncevas and who just, you know, don't give a stuff. And, you know, they'll they'll talk about their mouse and they'll, um, even once the, you know, once the criticism comes, they'll they'll still put up signs saying, we need fresh air to breathe. I mean, um, she doesn't care and she never has. Um, So... In summing up, I just think I have a little bit of a softer um, view on it than, than most people. But so I think in general, they probably need to pull their heads in a bit.
1: Yeah, I think you bang on. And obviously, we're not we're not doctors or epidemiologists. But I think at the end of the day, it's just kind of part, part and parcel of the fact that we are in a pandemic and there are no rules. And we saw it with the US Open and we saw it with the French Open. And luckily, in hindsight, there was no explosion of... COVID cases, and we didn't really hear too much about it, even though there were some positive cases. There were some scares, but I think it's it's just the situation we're in. There's really no rule book, and I, I honestly feel sorry for the authorities, and I feel sorry for Tennis Australia because, you know, as much as we want the event to go ahead and you know, we don't want this, this void of tennis, we don't want revenue to be lost, it, it, it just must be just so hard to actually – get all the logistics together, particularly here in Australia when the majority of the tennis community is coming from Europe and is coming from the USA, which happen to be hotspots.
2: Yeah, I mean, it, it must be soul-destroying for Craig Tiley because he, he's used to the Australian Open being the happy slam. Um, and it's, yeah. it's been anything but this year. Like, no player is going to walk away saying, this was the happiest time of my life. There's no yeah. doubt about that. Um, and, and they've done so much right. like The, the amount of work that Craig Tiley and his team are doing he had a there was sort of a snap press conference that was held last night being a, being sort of tuesday night and he told us that the executive and leadership team are all working at least 18 hour days and let that sink in like that that's an enormous yeah. amount and that's not just you know one day here or there this is day after day at the moment they're doing 18 hour days and then you think of the millions they're pouring in. There's a chance they're going to lose a hundred million dollars. You know they're going to pump that much money in, and 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 they, they've had to dip into their eighty million dollar reserves to, to make sure this this tournament goes ahead. You know they're they're doing everything possible to tick off the government regulations, keep players happy. Stars are getting treated a bit differently to your average players. That's causing a bit of a stir. But in general, we all want this to get through. They've got to be safe, and that is the biggest priority here. I've got to get it off without a hitch, but we can't have a third wave. If that happens, it is going to be an absolute disaster, and tennis will take a very, very long time to recover in this country. So let's all cross our fingers and hope that the drama leads to to nothing more than that. Um, We we just need to get this off without a hitch.
0: And You are right. Craig Tiley did say that the last five days have felt like five years Um, So, and I can't imagine the stress that he would be under and that the executive Australian Open team and Tennis Australia team would be under. But what do you make of the Adelaide tournament and actually having the exhibition there because of the furor that it has created between the players and it's just further sort of established that gap between the top (laughs) and bottom players. Should this exhibition have gone ahead at all? And should Djokovic, Nadal and co have just come to Melbourne instead?
2: Well, I think this is this is the point. I mean, we, we look at it and we go, look, in a perfect world, probably not. But it's not a perfect world. And Craig Tiley, again, touching on that conversation last night, he already had spoken about it, but he, he went even further last night to discuss it. And they had exhausted the capacity for quarantine in Melbourne. They had to find a way to fit more players elsewhere. And that's why they went speaking to all the state governments in, around Australia to find out who would be willing to house another bubble, and and it ended up being SA, and as you can understand, like the Premier in SA, Stephen Marshall is sort of going, okay, I'm happy to help you. I'm not just going to do this for nothing and and with the potential risk of, you know, another outbreak in in South Australia. So we need to get something out of it. Um, And and for that, that obviously became that January 29 exhibition, a a day at the drive. And they're also getting a a WTA event after the Australian Open. I'd imagine that was part of the deal too. Um, That hasn't been 100% confirmed, but I'd imagine that is the case. And again, if you're going to have an exhibition, you can't just have a bunch of guys ranked 80 in the world. Um, let's not kid ourselves. Um, it, when it, at this time of year, a lot of casuals will watch the sport and a lot of them only know the top guys. So for him to convince a government that we're going to give you this event, it had to be a quality product. And so they got the best players in the world to turn up. And the funny thing was, Craig Tiley came out last night and was quite, quite honest about it. And he, he sort of said, you know, I'm going to, we're going to give the best players the best deal. Um, it's just how it is. And as a general rule, the best players get treated differently. Um, and, and in, in effect, I'm, I'm paraphrasing a little bit here, but he said, you know, go win a Grand Slam and uh, and then we'll treat you the same way, which um easier said than done. But I understand what he's saying. He's not being that harsh. Um, it probably comes across a little bit more harshly, yeah. but um, you have to understand what he, where he's coming from.
1: Yeah, I actually can see where he's coming from. And one of the things, actually, Mark, that Val and I did touch on before was, was saying that uh, kind of lost amongst all the, the chaos has been really do feel sorry for some of the lower-ranked players that just happen to be coming to Australia that, you know, don't don't earn the same uh, you know, money as the, the high-ranked players. They're not in that kind of glamorous bracket and they're just trying to make their living. And, you know, even, even though this guy – that I'm about to mention, isn't probably in that bracket. He's really got himself back on his feet in the tennis sense, came through qualifying, got himself into the Australian Open. Bernard Tomic, I mean, it's incredible that all this stuff's happened and we haven't really spoken about Bernie at all. And um, I mean, the stuff that we have heard about him, um, we, we know he's a pretty interesting kind of guy, but um, <laughs> just, just the kind of stuff that we have. That's an understatement. Yeah, it is an understatement. But like, just the, this, the stuff that we have heard about him uh, from the Tomage camp in the last couple of weeks, kind of really, really sums him up, doesn't it? And I guess you've kind of been on top of qualifying, but it's going to be fascinating to see him back in the open.
2: It, it really is. I mean, I, I don't think you use the words, but I think we all know OnlyFans has been become a, a pretty buzz phrase around uh, around the Bernie <laughs> camp. Um, with his girlfriend, so I mean that's that's dominated the headlines, and it's it's so Bernie. Um, but look, he, as you said, he, he battled his way through qualifying. You know, three straight three-set matches. He went the distance each time. Faced a match point against a young Aussie, Tristan Schoolkate, in the in the second round of qualifying. Certainly got challenged against JP Smith, another Australian, in the final round. He had to you know, win it in a, a match tiebreak in the third set. So he dug in. And he he worked hard and he he sort of spoke afterwards again, the controversy probably overshadowed it again afterwards with his comments about, you know, he's got a stack of money. He doesn't need this sort of thing. Of course he's motivated, but the facts are he's he's not in his peak form. There's there's no doubt about that. You know, I watched his matches through qualifying and he's, you know, he he produced some good tennis, but um, it's a, it's a whole nother level once he gets into the main draw, you'd have to get a decent draw, I think, to, to win a match at the Oz Open. But for me, Just seeing him get through qualifying and get a bit of confidence back um, and playing some matches. I I still think Bernie at 28, he's only four years removed from being a top 20 player. Um, I I still see him very much comfortably a top 100 player at his best and you'd like to think he'll be back in that top 50. Whether it gets beyond that, that's completely up to Bernie. But uh, it'd be great for Australian tennis to have him back up there. One, because it's another quality player. And and two, um, as we all know, he, he certainly adds a bit of interest.
0: He definitely does. And even like looking 2018 when he won Chengdu from just qualifying beat Fabio Fornini in the finals. So like we know what he can produce just off a whim. So I, I think with him, and look, I think it's lost the fact that he was the only Australian to come through qualifying as well. And I guess that's what this whole controversy has brought and as well as Vanessa Sierra saying she can't wash her hair or um, or use the bathroom in front of him. I think that's what's getting lost. It's actually quite impressive what he's been able to do.
2: Without a doubt, without a doubt, he, hes not. He said himself, and, and again after the JP Smithman win, he—he uh, he sort of came out and said, "Look, JP's really fit. I'm not, Um, but I, I found a way." And and that's something we can't always say for, for Bernie in the past. He that he's found a way. He he had to find a way because his best tennis wasn't there, and he he dug in. And as he said, he's the only Australian who came through. There were twenty odd that started the tournament. He's the only one that got through. And. Um, look, I found it a really interesting story. In, in the, uh, he spoke to AAP and um, he talked about, you know, he's, he's on a vegan diet now and all these sorts of things. Who knows whether it's true with Bernie? We, you just don't know. Um, you have to always take it with a grain of salt because he loves having a bit of a laugh with the media. But um, he's certainly not getting Vanessa to be his coach. I think we can be very assured of that, that she's not his coach. Even though he told the AOP that, but yeah. I think the vegan diet could be could be true. I mean, who knows? He, he he might be committing to it. He might have actually learned that, you know, tennis actually does have a really big spot in his in his life. And I think he probably knows this is his best option to make really good money for the next few years. And he talked about playing till he's thirty-five. Um, that gives us another seven years of of Bernie so um, I'm up to that I don't know about you guys but I I
0: definitely would enjoy that Yeah so would I, I think the headlines would be be all over the place we'd be uh, up and down with Bernie every week but Mark, thank you so much for joining us on the show tonight, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on and hopefully we'll be able to chat to you a lot more throughout the tennis season and You're an absolute gun journalist for the Herald Sun and uh, and News Corp and we love what you're doing um, covering the sport that we love in this country and giving it the exposure that it well and truly deserves, although a lot of people might not think that at the moment. But thank you very much for joining us on the show.
2: My pleasure, guys. Anytime.
0: Mark McGowan there from the Herald Sun here in Melbourne. He's one of the most wonderful journalists that you will see in this country. And whether it's AFL, whether it's tennis, whether it's any sport, he knows what he's doing and his penmanship is absolutely wonderful. But we must change tact, Joel. And um, 2020, we know, dealt a lot of blows. It really did. And the one final blow that we got was that the ATP WTA Live Scores app was going to be discontinued in 2021 due to... The, um, the development software that wasn't up to up to scratch with what they needed and that we were going to have to look elsewhere for our apps. And look, I tried a few and none compared to one that just stole my heart and has just come on as an absolute <laughs> godsend in 2021. And it is called the Live Tennis App. And you can find this on the App Store. Just search TNNS Live or Tennis Live. And it will come up and it is one of the most wonderful apps that you will see. And its creator, Lewis Simmons, has joined us here on Breakpoint Podcast. And Lewis is a massive tennis fan and now a co-founder of an app development company that's based in California in America. And Lewis, uh, you are unbelievable. Thank you so much for joining us. You've saved our lives in 2021. And um, yeah, thanks for joining (laughs) us on the show.
3: I, yeah, I think maybe saving 2021 might be an early step, but yeah, no, thanks very much for having me, guys. And, um, you know, like I was saying earlier, very happy to, um, just really stoked with, I guess, the reception that the apps had over the last week. Um, it was a quick push over Christmas and New Year's to really get it out. Um, but sort of, you know, from my own experience of seeing that app discontinued, I was pretty disheartened. And so, you know, after I saw it on Twitter and everyone else talked about it, it felt like we just had to get done and get pushed out.
0: Yeah, and you're 100% right. That that Live Scores app was the first one that I, first app that I downloaded on my iPhone when I first got an iPhone back in I think 2009. So, yeah. now to to see it discontinued was was quite a shock, but then to see your app which looks exactly the same but more aesthetically pleasing, you get all the tournaments, you get all the Challenger and ITF events which you didn't get on the last app, and you also get all the rankings and the calendar as well. So, What's um, What was the and how? Or what was the process like in actually designing the app and getting this out quickly? Yeah,
3: so um, like you were saying, it is largely based on in terms of you know where you go to find stuff. It's largely based on the ATP WTA app. Um, so in terms of you know the amount of time required to actually you know get an idea of you know what does this need to look like, it wasn't too difficult. Um, and like you said, it really was just a case of this app was built in two thousand and nine, and it did look like that um, even up until two months ago. Um, so really, it was just a case of you know applying a bit of I guess modern visuals to it, but not doing what I think um, a lot of people get maybe frustrated with with modern apps, especially in sports, is chucking a whole heap of you know animations, images, all this information that maybe you don't actually want. Um, so, you know, from that standpoint, it was actually um, relatively simple compared to other apps. But, I mean, the thing I'm learning with this app in particular, and like I'm looking at the code right now on my screen, i have a very rough day with it, is that just the data sources for tennis is not great. Um, and I think that's why maybe the apps in this space have been lagging. So, you know, it's a case of trying to figure out how we can potentially use a few different data sources to create a more complete app.
1: Lewis, congrats on the app. I mean, it looks fantastic. And, you know, with all with all due respect to the ATP and the WTA, I mean, the, your app looks, like, aesthetically um, far better than, than the ATP WTA app really ever did. And, um, obviously, it gets the job done in terms of getting the scores across. It's got what people want to see. And as Val mentioned, as, as you mentioned as well, the turnaround was, was quite quick. Uh, It's already up um, relatively um, close to 2020 Christmas. I mean, how did you manage to get it up in in such a a short amount of time? I can only imagine it must have been all hands-on deck there for a little bit.
3: Yeah, it was. So uh, it was Christmas Eve, and basically it was sort of lying in bed that morning. I was like, well, if you're going to do it, you're going to have to do it right now. Um, And so basically it was just a case of, you know, we were away on holiday within New Zealand. Um, But it was just a case of... we just have to do this now. Um, So I started coding that morning. Um, I think by the end of the next day, you know, we had the server built and then from there on, it was kind of a case of, you know, just getting your way through it until I think maybe around the fifth of January it was done. Um, but yeah, I mean, the key thing was like there's a lot of people at the moment in flux who don't have necessarily a sports app um, and a live scores app for tennis. And it was a case of really, especially before sort of the Dalray Beach, Abu Dhabi, and definitely the AO qualifiers, just getting something out there. Um, and then now, you know, we've got maybe a two-week period to actually try and, you know, get things fixed in some areas before we go into the sort of Melbourne swing for those four tournaments coming up.
0: And looking at the tournaments or looking at the, the results that you've had, did you expect such an outpour of love? Um, you know, you've had Ben Rothenberg tweeting about it, and Fashion. Um, of course, me and Joel have, have also got around oh, it as well, but yeah. um, you know, we're, we're nowhere near as big as those other guys. Don't worry. But um, yeah, it's, it, did you expect such an outpouring of, of love and sort of affection towards the app? Because it, it has been really well received.
3: Yeah, absolutely. No, I was really surprised by it. And sort of, what I was doing for a few days on Twitter was really, you know, a lot of people were talking about the old app and, you know, I was just replying to them saying, you know, I totally feel you. And, you know, I've built this replacement and, you know, would love for you to download and try it. You know, but if it's not for you, it's not for you. But hopefully for some people in the community, you know, this will help replace what was missing. Um, and yeah, that was maybe a day. And then so sort of the day, the next day people started picking up. There are quite a lot of journalists in the UK as well who were yep. picking it up. Um and then yeah, like you said, Ben, you guys, a um, couple other podcasts we've had um, Serena Williams coaches in it. Um, I don't want to dare make a mess of his last name. Um, <laughs> Stanford Brink, Stanford Brink has coaches in it as well. Like really surprised, I guess, by the type of people going into it. It's sort of definitely the sort, of, I guess, what I categorize as tennis super fans, um, which for me is really exciting because it means you know the people who are most passionate about the sport are in the app which for me makes it you know
1: really rewarding yeah it's reaching some high places and deservedly so because as we've said it uh it does look fantastic and it's filled a a very important void but how about yourself Lewis like I'm really interested to know what what's your kind of background professionally I suppose we know that uh you're clearly a, a massive tennis fan but did you did you ever kind of see yourself um you know creating this kind of thing um, I'd always wanted
3: to for a tennis app, but it, it's it's all about timing really, and you know the timing was never right um and you know if we'd done this a year ago and you know most likely done a very different app, which would have been a lot more visual and stuff like that, then it probably would have fallen face flat um but yeah, so in terms of my background, like i'm saying sort of um sort of went to university over in australia um And then went into public accounting for a couple of years and sort of, you know, just got into, I guess, the nine to five life Um, and really enjoyed it. But sort of, yeah, found myself finding more of a passion for, I guess, creating like apps and sort of, you know, concepts and then ended up teaching myself how to code. to then go, okay, now I've got this idea for an app, let's actually build it, Um, which then sort of created, I guess, the perfect storm for this tennis app over Christmas,
0: and the company, the, you've founded this um, social app exploration company, and it's based in California. So hopefully when travel comes around, will you will you try and move out there, or have you got contacts over there that you're working with and um, trying to sort of get things sort of, or other apps sort of up and running?
3: Yeah, a bit of both. So I um, was actually planning on moving up there um, last year, so 2020, and then obviously everything happened. Um, and so I was born in New Zealand and so currently am in New Zealand and, uh, quite happy to be here given everything going on. Um, so that's sort of the situation here, but yeah, um, so in terms of the company we have up in America, it's, uh, it is based in Santa Monica and we have sort of partners up there. Um, and so they, the partners up in America currently aren't, um, a part of this app, but certainly there's interest for them to, I guess, come on board given, you know, the response that we've seen over the last couple of weeks.
0: Yeah, and 100%. And uh, I think the response is, is very well warranted. And before we do let you go, Lewis, um, I must ask you, you are an avid tennis fan. So your favourite players, who are they? Yeah, I knew this would come up. <laughs> um,
3: i a very bo- boring answer for the men. It's, it's definitely fair. Yes. Uh, I think outside of Federer at the moment for the men, probably plays watching most of the team and also courage. I enjoy watching courage. This is something different. Um, In terms of the female tour, it's not something I like follow as closely at the moment. I'd like to see Azarenka come back to the top. Um, I think she's done really well in terms of PR for the last couple of days. But aside from that as well, you know, her form towards the end of last year with I think Cincinnati annuals open finals. Um, yeah, I'd love to see her come back and maybe take the crown in an Australian Open. But, yeah, I mean, through and through a Federer fan.
0: Look, I love you even more. Um, uh, yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. everybody who listens to this show knows how much I love Roger Federer, so to have another Fed fan on the show is always nice. But, um, Lewis, Very thank good. you so much for joining us on the program today. And remember... On Twitter, you can go at Download Tennis and follow um, follow the app Instagram at Download Tennis as well. Um, download Tennis.com and grab the app on the App Store and also on Android. You can just search TNNS um, Tennis Live Scores. So please follow, please download the app because it is the best app going around at the moment and it trumps absolutely everything else that we've seen Lewis Simmons. We can't pump you up enough on this show, but thank you so much for, for joining us. And um, when there's any new developments, we'll uh, we'll be able to get you on again to chat about them because um, it's an absolute pleasure chatting to someone who's bringing such joy to tennis fans around the world.
3: Yeah, perfect. No, thanks very much, guys. And also thank you to everyone who's downloading and all the feedback we're getting on Twitter as well at the moment, like it's really positive and. You know, I guess some people might find it annoying to constantly have people saying, you know, this is going wrong, that's going wrong, but it makes it very easy for me to go out and fix things. So, you know, I'm super appreciative to everyone who's downloading and being a part of it and sort of really excited for, I guess, the next couple of months and the future of this app.
0: Lewis Simmons, good luck with everything. We'll see you on Breakpoint very soon. Thanks very much, guys. Lewis Simmons there from the Live Tennis app. It is. It has been an absolute godsend and... When 2020 kicked us when we were down with the ATP WTA Live Scores app going, uh, this was a godsend produced in 2021. So the Live Tennis app, remember, go download it. It is amazing and it's got everything you need as a tennis fan to follow the tour all year round. But Joel Frucci, Benoit of the Week was a segment that took the world by storm last year. And by the world, I mean you and me. (laughs) Um, and this, and this little podcast here, but we are the world and we, we often said that we cured COVID and look, we didn't, but, um, you know, we, we, like to, (laughs) we like to think we did with our dulcet tones, but, um, we usually gave away one nomination every week. Um, every time we did the show and Novak Djokovic was our Benoit of the year with six, um, and there was only one instance where we gave away a multiple nomination, and that was to Tommy Haas and Kim Kleisters for winning their exhibition events. So The Golden Ollies. The Golden Ollies. That is correct. But now I must say, this week we don't have one, not two, not three, not even four, but 16 nominations this week for Benoit <laughs> of the Week. Um, we thought we'd start the year with a literal bang because it is absolutely ridiculous how many people have been in fine form or just disgraceful form over the last week or two. Um, so we, we've got a few good nominations and a few bad nominations for Benoit of the week. So Joel, do you want to fire away with your good nominations?
1: Yeah, sure. I'll kick things off. Leave so, then. Leave the best. As... Leave
0: leave the best till last. There's one. I know. I know which one this is. But, yeah, leave right, leave right. him leave him till last because we want to have a laugh.
1: All right, all right. Well, the natural segue is the live tennis app. We've just been talking about it. And yep. as you said, Bella, it has been a godsend. And I'll tell you what, for an independent product, it's, it's bloody good. So for anyone, um, as we said before, that hasn't uh, checked it out yet, make sure you go and uh, download it uh, because it's very, very good. Victoria Azarenko gets uh, a nomination as well for being something uh, of a voice of reason or at least trying to – uh, conjure up some sort of unity in the tennis community. Renee Stubbs gets one, as does Ben Rothenberg, for their commentary during the week on various platforms. Uh, Nick Kyrgios, um, again, has got another positive one. I think he's got more positives than, um, than uh, negatives yeah. uh, collectively, Val. Um Never thought we'd be seeing that, but... Um, uh-huh. Here we are for his uh, Djokovic is a tool call, immortalised on my Twitter account, at Joel Fridge. Make sure you go you give it a like. Uh, Pablo Cuevas for drinking Coronas at 11am in the morning. Well done, Pablo. Um, great <laughs> stuff, making the most of quarantine. Uh, Artem Sitak, um, another voice of reason and, yeah. and just having um, a sense of perspective, really, is, is what uh, people uh, want to see in, in Melbourne and in, and in Victoria at the moment. Alan Perez gets one. We know she's good value, uh, Alan, and um, her documenting of her quarantine experience has been uh, quite funny, actually, and a, a veiled swipe at Vanessa Sierra saying that she might have to go uh, and uh, wash her hair by herself. So well done to you, Alan. Good stuff. Uh, and finally, um, the uh, father and lord and I don't know what else of this award, uh, Benoit Pair, because he um, ordered himself some... Um, Uber Eats, some Maccas, um, when he was in quarantine. So, interesting thing about that, Val, is I want to ask you, what do you think he ordered?
0: Yeah, well, we were talking about this uh, today, and I, I don't know. I'm, I'm thinking because Benoit is a very extravagant soul, um, and he is a bit of a hipster. He likes to call himself a hipster. Um, I reckon he would have got whatever the most expensive thing on the Maccas menu was. And I'm assuming it's one of those black Angus burgers. Um, You know, they look very swanky. They use the full-on brioche bun for them. Um, You know, me, I'm a double beef and bacon burger man myself, so I reckon he's probably a class above me. Um, Maybe got an extra Big Mac in there as well with some chips. Um, And and I think he's probably (laughs) a sparkling water kind of man. Um, Or he got the coffee, coffee from the McCafe. Um, so that that's why and look I, I want to try and get him on next week while he's in quarantine I'll write a letter to the to the hotel and try and get them to pass it up to his room um, but uh, what do you think he had
1: uh, well I think we can categorically rule out the fillet of fish uh, being the worst thing on the menu at McDonald's um, I mean, <laughs> no I'm going to say because I think it's the best thing at Macca's, um he probably ordered a double quarter pounder um, yep. with some chips on the side um, is that because uh, it's what you had yeah yeah, because, um, because Benoit has good taste, um, he probably yeah, he probably ordered a double quarter pound of large chips and uh, six nuggets. And uh, if anyone is wondering why I think he ordered that, it's because that's exactly what I order. Um, and he's a man with good taste, and I'm a man with good taste as well.
0: I love how just how you've just thrown yourself up a few notches today. Just uh, go give yeah. that a like, immortalize on my Twitter. Um, but. Yeah I I have seen you down a um it was quite an impressive feed I saw you down um a quarter pounder a double quarter pounder large chips I think it was a cheeseburger and six nuggets um uh, after after a Christmas party, so that was um, that was fairly interesting, and um, yeah, I, I thoroughly I thoroughly enjoyed watching you do that. Um, but uh, so it was Ben Wiaper live tennis at Victoria, Azarenka, Renee Stubbs, Ben Rothenberg, Nick Curios, Pablo Cuevas, Adam Sitak, and Alan Perez. Now it's time for the negative ones. Um, Craig Tiley, I think he must get one for that comment about the top players, um, as we discussed at the start of the show. Probably not his finest comment. Um, Can see where he's coming from, but probably didn't look too good considering the fires that they're trying to put out at TA. Um, Roberto Batista Agu calling it a prison. Mate, you're the world number 13. You're earning $100,000 for your first round. Calm down. Taro Daniel um, for suggesting that things should be best of three sets of the Australian Open. Absolute cross from me. Uh, Yulia Patinsiva complaining. Another cross from me. Uh, Bernard Tomic, um, again... Just, I'm, I'm not sure what's going on. Uh, just, just, just Bernie doing just, Bernie yeah, things. Yeah, Bernie doing Bernie things. But also qualifying, I think. He kind of gets a half good, half bad um, uh, um, Benoit nomination. Um, just because, yeah, half good, half bad, qualified, but then barely wants to practice. Yeah. So, very interesting there. Very cool. um, Vanessa Sierra. I'm sorry, Vanessa, but you're categorically a porn star. So... <laughs> you get no right to comment on the quarantine situation in tennis. Oh. Um, <laughs> it's categorically a porn star. Well, I love it. <laughs> I, I think she is. Um, so yeah, you get no right to comment th- to comment on what's going on. And yeah, it, it's kind of a spit in the face of all the tennis coaches out there that she's now probably going to be put on the ATP website as Bernard Tomic's coach. Um, so. Yeah, uh, uh, <laughs> this is just strange. And Novak Djokovic, um, the the defending champ. I think he has to get a Benoit of the Week nomination for his um, for his uh, demands. Um, and, yeah, what he's been saying because he's got no right to comment on a COVID situation ever considering the Adrian tour and everything that happened with him last year. So, Novak fans, you can come at me if you like, but definitely not. So, that is 16 nominations for the Benoit of the Week. And um, we've we've gotten off with an absolute bang there. But Joel, it's been a pleasure again talking tennis with you. I've absolutely missed you. We um, yeah over Christmas we didn't have as much chance to catch up as we would have liked, but um, we had a swim at your place last week, which was lovely. And um, now we're going to get to see each other a lot more. But it's been a pleasure um, doing Breakpoint again with you, and we can't wait to talk. Well, I can't wait to talk about tennis more in 2021 with your good self. So thank you very much, mate. No,
1: pleasure, mate. Pumped to be back. I can't wait for it. And dare I say, we probably haven't heard the end of all this. There's still about another week or so of mandatory hotel quarantine for the players. So, jeez, I can't wait to see what's, uh, what we're going to hear about during the week. It's going to be interesting.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, I'm a little bit concerned, to be quite frank. But um, thank you to Mark McGowan and Lewis Simmons as well for jumping on the show today. Um, Joel, it's been an absolute pleasure. I'll catch you next week. See you, mate. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at BreakpointPod, Instagram, BreakpointPodcast, and Facebook. You can search at BreakpointPod1 or Breakpoint on Facebook, where there, give us a like or a follow. And also, you can uh, subscribe to us on Wishka and also Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Subscribe there. We appreciate everybody's listens. It's been Val Febo and Joel Frucci chatting all things tennis with you on Breakpoint Podcast. We'll catch you all next week. Hopefully, the players have calmed down.